yeah, life is great. And if I can believe this, then like, oh my gosh, that means that like I have the strength to get through this and that I can overcome what's like bringing me down right now. And it just like really opened doors to like, yes, I can do this. Hi, we are Colleen and Colleen, and we have made it our mission to spread kindness and make everyone feel like they belong. So each week we will share real life stories, motivating insights, and helpful tips that will inspire you to live a kinder, happier life. We believe that together we can make the world a much better place. Are you in? I'm in. Let's do this. Welcome to the You Fit Here podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm CS. And I am CB. And today we are really excited to introduce our friend Erin, um, who we know personally, having said that she's our friend. And she's um, a family friend of mine. And CB has gotten to know her because she's a great supporter of our, of our business. And she has bravely chosen to share her story with us in hopes that she can help just one other person make a hard decision that could, in fact, change or save their, their life the same way that a previous episode of ours helped helped her. Um, we're in awe of her strength. We wanted to make sure that anybody who chooses to tune in today knows that they are strong, worthy, and not alone. Uh, we will be discussing suicidal thoughts, mental health, health, and depression. So if these topics are something that you're not really up for today, then maybe not, maybe not today and maybe another time. So, but welcome, Erin. Thank you. <laughs> we're so happy to have you here. I'm happy to be on here. I'm excited. Good. We're so excited. It's always so nice when someone who's like our, obviously friend on the side, but someone who truly tunes into like every episode is now a part of the podcast because we feel like you've been a part of the podcast the whole time, but now your voice gets to be on here forever, which is so cool. Yeah, that's definitely really cool. Really cool. So fun. Okay. So Erin, tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive into, you know, this current story that we're going to talk about, but just about you. Okay. Um, I am 23. I live in Michigan right now. Um, I am going to grad school for clinical behavioral psychology. Um, I work as a behavior technician and like a ABA center, which does some autism therapy um, and hoping by the end of my master's that I will work as a behavior analyst, which is kind of a step up of, from what I'm doing right now. Um, I have a dog. His name is Noki. Um, we got him within the last couple months. So new dog mom, um, but loving it. Is his name Noki like the pasta? Yes. Oh my God. That's so cute. Is it bad that I've never heard of gnocchi pasta? Colleen, it's I like know. it's like a potato, potato. pasta. Um, like sometimes it looks like little beetles almost <laughs> in the shape, which sounds disgusting. It is so good. Okay. I'm going to have to look into that because I love pasta and I love potatoes. So, okay. No, Sorry. Neither here nor there. You'd love it, but everywhere. Wait, you've had gnocchi. Remember when you came to visit me and we went to that restaurant and I had... But oh it my was gosh, not yes. Typical I'll, gnocchi. It was like big gnocchi, not like and it was, little ones. It had a lot of cream. Yeah, that was like a cream sauce. Okay. Yeah. We're really distracted at the moment. But 
Okay. Yucky. That's okay. the cutest thing ever. Okay. Um, okay. Back, back to life. So grad school, you're just like deep in the thick of your education and career and future. Yeah. I'm a uh, semester four of grad school. So I have, uh, I finish up this one and the next one and then I'll graduate. Ah, oh, you're so close. Yeah. <laughs> that was at the end of the tunnel. Ooh. I can't yeah, right? imagine. Sometimes yeah. I wish I was back in school, but also, you know, I'm just learning in life. I'm just learning in life. <laughs> no degree for it, but anyway, okay. Okay, so moving on. So tell us when things started to kind of shift for you. You're in the middle of, you know, school and then grad school. And when did things, at least for you and your mental health, you start to notice things were kind of not what they used to be? So I guess in like my senior year of college, um, towards the beginning of it, I kind of noticed that like, I was getting really fixated on certain thoughts and that they were causing me like a lot of anxiety. And um, so most of these thoughts kind of surrounded my sexuality and who I was attracted to. And I felt like I needed 100% certainty on knowing the answer of whether I was attracted to men or women or both. And I felt like I needed that answer. And so I was spending like hours of my day not doing homework and instead like looking up stuff on how to figure out your sexuality, taking like those fake online quizzes to figure out like who you're attracted to. And Um, so that was kind of really when I noticed the shift was senior year when I was like, okay, this like feels like it's more extreme than just like me questioning and maybe is like something a little bit more. Wow. And then COVID hit at the end of your senior year, right? That was the beginning of, of all of that. So I'm sure that didn't exactly help your, your confusion and questions. No. Um, yeah, it definitely did not help. Um, I was, so I, uh, when COVID hit, um, I went to the university of Dayton whoop, whoop. <laughs> and when COVID hit, I went back to Indianapolis to live with my parents and, you know, I just really missed a lot of my friends and that I had been living with. Cause I was living with five other girls at the time specifically like my best friend, her name is also Aaron. She was in Toledo. And so I just was like, we were texting a bunch and all this stuff. So really good to keep in touch with her. But at the same time, like spending so much time talking to her kind of made those thoughts about my sexuality come back up again of like, oh no, am I like attracted to my best friend? And so that just like made things pretty difficult. And yeah, so COVID definitely did not help. (laughs) Well, and I think it's so hard because you're at an age where it feels like this immense pressure just in life in general. Like I'm about to graduate. What's my next step? Where do I go from here? And then throw in these questions you're having. And it's like, I can't personally relate to having those questions or feelings about that. But just knowing the general questions you have about like, what's my next step into adulthood? 
obviously you're an adult, but like out of school and living and all this stuff. And then that on top of it, the overwhelm and like ruminating cycle of, I got to figure this out, got to figure this out has to be just like so much to process all the time. Yeah, it was definitely um, a lot to like think about and this I then went to a therapist um, that Dayton has they are awesome and have like free um, counseling sessions and I know that most universities at least have a couple so I guess any college students out there like these places are awesome Um, and yeah so I went to start seeing a therapist there. Um, I had actually seen her a little bit my freshman year. Um, I'd been then dealing with some like depression as well, um, coming out of high school and things then had kind of turned around. So I stopped seeing her for a couple of years and then I went back and I was like, Hey, it's me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) what's up? And so we kind of talked through it and she, at first we were exploring a lot about like okay, like, it's okay to be questioning your sexuality. And here's like, how we can kind of navigate this and maybe like, I guess, experiment in a way, but without like, actually doing anything, but just like, going with the thoughts, I guess. So we started off with that and love my therapist so much, but made things so much worse. Um, Because then I started thinking like, oh my gosh, like this is actually real. And this is like whatever, everything that I thought I knew, I've been lying to myself and I can't trust what I'm thinking. So like, if I can't trust myself here, how can I trust myself in any other situation? And like, how can I trust what I actually want to do with my life and where I want to go to grad school? So like everything that was about to change in my life, I was just like, nope, can't trust myself. So then as we kind of discovered that things were becoming a lot worse, um, through the, like exploring my thoughts and everything, um, we, she was like, wait, I've been talking to some of my colleagues and they said that this sounds like OCD. And I was like, um, and I, as I think many other people had like the thought that OCD was like, for people that were super organized or like wash their hands a lot. And like, as a psych major, I knew a little bit more than that. Like, but I knew nothing about OCD um, other than like the brief textbook definition that my classes gave me in psych 101. So I was like, um, I don't think so. And she was like, well, like, here's kind of how it goes is that OCD is categorized by obsessions and compulsions. And so in your case, like these obsessions are intrusive thoughts that you're not wanting there. Um, So these thoughts about your sexuality that you're like trying to push down and get rid of, um, those are intrusive and causing you anxiety. And I was like, "Mm, yeah, that, that checks out. Um, And then the compulsions would be, for me, it was like researching everything, taking those online quizzes, um, doing stuff like that to help ease the anxiety. And it only makes it worse. And so having having these obsessions and then her encouraging me to research more about like 
sexuality and like the fluidity of it um that's what contributed to making it worse because I was just using it as a compulsion instead of as a healthy way of like navigating kind of my life yeah that makes perfect sense because when people hear OCD or people so frequently be they're like well I'm OCD so my counter has to be clean every day or I'm OCD so my planner has to be just a certain way you know it's so much more than that and it's unfortunate when you know these things like OCD or anxiety disorder they get used so uh, what's the word I'm like, looking like for? A, almost like a blanket so yeah kind like of one... and they get used in such like a non-serious way if that makes sense so then when someone's really dealing with it or battling with it everyone's like oh it's it's OCD because it, it like takes the depth of what it is away from it when you're just like I have OCD so my counter has to be clean it ruins do you know what I'm trying to say yeah it like trivializes it yes thank you so much that's gosh so you're so smart and wise. 23 <laughs> you're I thinking know. about more in your college days than I ever have in my whole life and that alone just speaks volumes about the depth of who you are mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk more about that but uh yeah. wow yeah I I see exactly what you're saying and that like that's kind of like an icky feeling because then it's almost it's not really relatable yeah and I think it's like I know that people when they say it like they don't have bad intentions with it that they're like especially if I'm like talking to someone and I bring up that I have OCD and that um this is kind of something that I'm working through they're they try to be relatable to it and they're like, mm, I totally understand. Like I have OCD about this. And right. like I, in those moments, I do have to take a deep breath and be like, it's okay. They're not being bad. Like they yeah. don't have bad intentions with this. Um, but it is definitely something that like, I guess hits a little bit deeper um, mm-hmm. just because I'm like, for like I'm on a Facebook group that's like support group for um, people that have OCD and just like, I know me among other people, it's kind of like we appreciate people trying to relate to us. Um, But at the same time, it's like this is something that takes like hours of my day and something that's really difficult for me to deal with and like makes me feel at times like a horrible person. And it so it's just like we we appreciate your attempt to relate. But at the same time, like empathy is a good route to go as well. Exactly. We've discussed this in the past, how just empathizing and saying like, I'm here with you and I'm listening and whatever is so much better than being like, oh, me too. I get that. Or I had this happen to me because then it's like, come on, just let me tell my story. But now that you're saying that, so I, I have a friend who realized she had OCD later in life and a similar thing where she did not think she did at all or like it wasn't even on her radar until she put all the puzzle pieces together and then realized how much it was drastically affecting her life. So are there any things you could tell our listeners about like maybe symptoms or things that you experienced or that could be experienced so that maybe 
people could bring an awareness to what's really going on and not just like a organizing your pantry, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, for some people, like, they do have what's called, like, perfectionist OCD. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you are organizing your pantry, the, I guess, difference there is that, like, some people, it's like, okay, like, I love how this looks. I love how my pantry is organized. I love how my calendar is, like, laid out. But if it's not that way, it's not, I guess, causing the, like, level of anxiety that it would, because it's, it's more of a preference than, like, a necessity. Um, So, like, for me, I had friends that were also um, like kind of questioning their sexuality and things like that. So I would talk to them and for them, it was just like, oh, it would be like really great to figure this out. But like, I know that it'll come in due time. And for me, I was like, I need to know right now. Otherwise, like I'm going to go insane. And I guess that was just kind of like a big like or a like key factor for me was that I was like okay some people are like really chill about this like most people are really chill about this and I'm just like no need to know right now like this is super important I can't move on with my life until I figure this out so as a student and having that mindset like I kind of stopped doing school work I was really putting in like minimal effort because I was putting all of my time and energy into looking things up to make myself feel better. And the more that I did that, then the more that the thoughts occur. So I guess for others, if you notice that like you have thoughts that are really anxiety provoking to you and they are recurring and just like cause a lot of distress, then those are likely obsessions. And then additionally, if you have kind of like rituals that you go through uh so like me researching everything is so in a way to ease the anxiety then that's where I guess like those are some of the symptoms to look for it's kind of hard because like especially compulsions can look different for everyone like sometimes obsessing about it is a compulsion itself so it it really has a lot of variability in it, mm-hmm. which makes it hard to recognize. And I yeah. mean, I'm not a, I don't know how to say the word, diagnostician. Uh, so like, I don't have the qualifications to like do this, uh, but just those are some of my experiences with it. Yeah. And something that these compulsions, whether they're your thoughts or actions or things that you feel that you have to do if they're consuming your life and taking away, you know, parts of your life because you can't stop that cycle, probably in one way or another, something to look into or think about when it's Mm -hmm. affecting just your daily living. Absolutely. I have to share this with you, Erin, and I'll post this on the blog. CB sent me this in our DMs. Can you see this? Um, you're a little fuzzy. Okay, so I'll just explain it so then the listeners can understand it too. There are two dogs and one is like a a bigger dog and one is a smaller dog. And the bigger dog asks the smaller dog, how deep is the mud? And the little dog says, depends on who you ask. And it says we all go 
through things differently. The the dog, the little dog is is mud from head to toe. And then the bigger dog just has it on its little legs. And when you just explained, you know, how your friends could just kind of, they were settled or they felt like they were okay with not knowing and, oh, I'll find out when I find out. It's like, well, they're, that's kind of, in my mind, when I think about how to describe that to people, it's like, you're in the mud and you're stuck in it and you can't get out of it until you figure out how to get out of it. And they're just kind of trotting through and not as maybe, maybe affected, but it doesn't consume their lives. And I love how you explained the strong preference versus the necessity. For Mm -hmm. me, that really helped me to understand because I know that there are hundreds of types of OCD. Mm -hmm. And I know that based on research that I did when I learned about a friend of mine who had a very, one that I had never heard of before. So anyway, um, I just like to be able to visualize things that will help people understand things. So henceforth. It's a cute little thing. The mud might be the same depth, but the dogs are two different heights. So it's just, you know, how it affects you might be totally different than how it affects somebody else. Um, Okay. So at this point you feel like, yes, this is kind of making more sense to you. Mm -hmm. The OCD, the thoughts, what happens at this point or after this point? Um, so I had this really great breakthrough with my therapist and we figured it out kind of, and we're like, okay, this is how we're going to move forward. And she was really upfront and honest with me. She's like, I know that we have a really good rapport, but I don't feel qualified to do the OCD treatment, but here's someone that used to work at the university that's still in Dayton that I highly recommend. And She's like, he's amazing. Um, I would just schedule an appointment with him. So I went and I had my first appointment with him. I think it was like March 8th or something. And then on March 11th, we found out that we were getting sent home from COVID due to COVID. So luckily I was able to do telehealth with him, but it was definitely harder. Um, It also like, was a bit more difficult for me because I was explaining some of these really deep, scary sexual thoughts to a male that I was like, I don't understand these and I don't know how to explain them in a way that like will be beneficial for you to understand what I'm thinking, but also be beneficial for me to like help move beyond this. So like he was an awesome very awesome, like great to talk to, had a lot of really good metaphors and things like that. Um, That was super, super helpful. And like rapport was good, but it was just like telehealth makes it, made it a lot more difficult. So that was kind of where I was right when COVID hit. And I was at home from March until the beginning of August of 2020. And throughout that time, I was still experiencing some of, like, I was experiencing some OCD, specifically around sexuality. And mom, if you're listening, I love you. Um, (laughs) I loved living with my parents. However, it was very difficult at times because we all had kind of gotten used to not living with each other. So we developed our own habits. And I 
I found it difficult. I found myself butting heads a lot with my mom and just about like some trivial things. And as one does, I guess. And, you know, we were together 24 seven because couldn't go anywhere. And so I just found myself like really starting to get down on myself and really like, I am a horrible person. Like I'm upsetting my mom. I am not being as helpful as I should be all while like dealing with missing my roommates and missing the school that I absolutely adored and like my other friends that were there. And I just kind of started like sinking down further and like my mood was getting really bad. I was getting really irritable, which only increased how much I was butting heads with my mom. And that just kind of like this really horrible, like negative feedback loop that everything was just affecting and perpetuating it. So my thoughts then started to shift. I wasn't as focused on figuring out my sexuality. I was then thinking a lot about like how other people perceived my sexuality because I was like, I believe that I am attracted to men, but what if men perceive me as attracted to women and therefore they don't ever approach me or they like don't get the hint when I approach them and then this ruins everything for my life and I want to have a family and I want to get married and not that those things aren't possible with a woman. It was just not my preference. And um, I... So then just kind of having those thoughts like further kind of made my mood sink down and it then the thoughts shifted to me thinking about suicide and I knew I was like, no, this isn't something that I want, like, because I love my family, I love my friends and like, so I know that suicide is something that affects other people. And I knew that as much as I felt in that moment that like my life was not worth it and that I was a horrible person so that I didn't deserve to be alive, I knew that it would have an impact on my family and friends and people that I didn't even know it would have an impact on. Like, everyone has their story. So things hit different for different people. So what really kind of kept me going, I guess, was just knowing that this would affect other people and it would hurt them. And I couldn't bear to do that to anyone. Um, And so these thoughts kind of like went away. Um, They would come in like, intermittently, but definitely not to the level that like some of the obsessions that I was having were still like around. And then I moved to Michigan for grad school. Um, I started grad school and just with a lot of, a lot of reading and assignments and things like that, um, starting a new job, there was a lot of stress on me within that first month. And the thoughts about how other people perceived me kind of went away and to take its place was these thoughts, again, that I wanted to die. 
And it was really disturbing to me that they were popping back up, that I was having these thoughts because I was like, no, like I already made this decision that I don't want to do it because it affects other people. And like, as difficult as things are for me now, like I was coming home from work every single day and like just laying on my couch for hours and crying off and on and like not wanting to do anything and just feeling completely depleted of all energy. And so I was like, man, as much as like living like this sucks, I also know that living is better than not. So it was just really distressing to me to have these thoughts popping in that I wanted to die. So that kind of became the new theme of my obsessions or I'm having these thoughts about suicide. That means that I want to die. That means that I haven't been able to trust myself and I'm just lying to myself that I want to live. And if I really wanted to live, then I would be willing to do anything to prove that I want to live. So in that moment, like kind of when I had those thoughts, what popped up was if I really wanted to live, then I would be willing to hurt myself in order to prove that I want to live. So I began when I would have these thoughts as a compulsion, I began cutting myself and sorry, that was hard to say. I've not said it out loud before. So I, um, yeah, so I began hurting myself as a way to prove that I actually wanted to be alive. And the more that I did that, the worse that the thoughts got. Um, because then I was like, man, like, look what I'm doing to myself. Look what, like how I'm affecting my roommate. Like I was having her hide the knives and scissors and like anything sharp we had because I was so scared of myself and I was scared of like having her leave and to the point where like she felt like she could only go to work and come home. And like that was a horrible feeling because I felt like I was imprisoning her in our apartment and So as things were happening like that, I just was like, man, like, I'm such a burden on her. Like, things would be so much easier for her if, like, she didn't have to deal with me. And it was around this time that instead of asking, like, would you be mad if I killed myself? I was asking her, like, will you be okay when it happens? And I just really hit this intersection of I would have these obsessions. They would be really distressing to me, and I would hurt myself to get rid of them and make myself feel better. But then after I would do that, it then just made the obsessions pop back up immediately. And as this cycle just got really, really deep into it, it kind of had an intersection of like OCD and depression where these thoughts would pop in. And then I was just like, yeah, you're right. Like, this is what I want. And so I started making plans. Um, I knew what I was going to do. I knew what day I was going to do it on. And the night before I just like, wanted to give my roommate a heads up and I'm like, 
hey, like, I, I know that you're going to try to help me through this, but like, I don't know that I necessarily want you to because like the, like, this is it for me. This is, I know that this is what I want to do and that I can't keep living like this with the obsessions that I'm having and going through and hurting myself. Like I, I just can't keep doing it. And what made it really difficult too during this time was like I was seeing a therapist. This one at this point was like my fourth within the last, within 2020, because I was switching around so many times and like regulations on who can practice out of state and who can't. So I would tell them, I'm like on the outside, like I feel like everything is going so well for me. I'm living with my best friend. I'm have a job that I absolutely love. Like my client is the greatest. He was four at the time and just like the cutest little guy ever. And I'm in this grad school program that is just amazing. And like every day I'm learning something new and it's something that I'm actually interested in. So I would tell him like, I just don't understand why I would be having these thoughts. And that's, I guess, kind of like a common thing too with OCD is like trying to figure out why, at least for me having OCD, I can't speak for everyone, but trying to figure out why these were even occurring and like what reason. And it's like, the answer is they just happen. And that it's like, you, it found like something that you're really scared of and is like your worst fear and it's making it act like it's coming true. And so that's why you just like fixate on that more because you're scared of it. And whereas other thoughts can just freely pass through your mind because it's not something you're scared of. So yeah, sorry, that was a little bit of a tangent, but so I was, I had my day planned. I told my roommate, like, I know that you probably aren't going to go to sleep now because I'm telling you this, but like, after we go to bed and it was after midnight at this point. So I was like, after we go to bed, like, this is the day that I decided. So like, this is what I'm going to do. And she just like instantly broke down and to like uncontrollable tears and I was like oh shoot like I don't know that was the first time it really like made me question like am I making a huge mistake and so I like heard her out and she for a while had been urging me to go to the hospital she's like this is this seems really serious this is really scary can you please go like find some more help somewhere that's going to keep you safe while you're figuring all of this out. And I just, uh, based off of like shows and movies and things like that, like the hospital just seems so stigmatizing to me and scary. And like, I was going to have every single right taken away from me. And so I like was really hesitant about going. Plus it was going to take away the three things for me that I was actually liking about life, which was my roommate, my job, my school. So I was super hesitant about it. But once she started crying and like talking to me and was like, please, please just go to the hospital. Like, 
find like the help that you need um that was like the first time in a while that I actually like reconsidered what I was doing and so I was like okay I can't promise that I'm gonna go to the hospital but I promise you and I, I know this is kind of the case with promises but like to me if someone promises me something like that's the highest thing like I'm gonna take your word for it exactly like I don't throw promises around lightly, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, so I was like, I promise that I will call my therapist tomorrow, get his opinion and see what I need to do. I will not do anything tonight. I will wait until I have that conversation with him before I make any further decisions about what I'm going to do. So I followed through with that promise. I called my therapist and he was like, yeah, like, get your things ready, pack a bag, basically go like do something enjoyable first and then head to the hospital, which was kind of odd to me that he was like, do something enjoyable first because I'm like, A, nothing's enjoyable right now, but B, like, I just told you this and you're not telling me to like rush to the hospital right away. And maybe that's not the case this isn't the case for everyone, but I think with me, he knew that like, I was, I was pretty self-aware about like, I wasn't just going to make like a rash decision really quickly, like on the way to the hospital. Plus my roommate was going to be with me. She was driving me. So we stopped at Chipotle and got like one last meal that wasn't hospital food. And I went and was just dropped off at the ER. Um, because of COVID, I couldn't have anyone come in with me. So I, like on my way there, and as I'm walking into the emergency room, I like text my parents, which I should have just called, but I texted them and I was like, hey, just to let you know, I'm going to the hospital. Things aren't great, but they're all right. And I, this is paraphrasing what I said because I don't actually remember, but just wanted to give you the heads up. And like throughout all of this, my parents didn't really know that anything was going on. I had told them about the OCD um, and briefly talked to them about it while I was living at home, but I really tried to give them the impression that everything was going okay just because I like how I am with my roommate. I don't want to be problematic. I don't want to be a burden on people. So I just gave them this heads up like, hey, going into the hospital. Love you guys. And I mean, my mom called within like 10 seconds and was like, all right, please explain this to me. Like what's going on? So after I got on the phone with her, I walked in, did my COVID screening accidentally walked to the wrong ER desk. So I had to explain why I was there like three times because I kept going to the wrong place. <laughs> and I'm just like shaking because I'm like, I feel like I'm turning myself in for a crime. Like this feels like I felt like I was doing something so wrong. But I finally got to the right unit that I was supposed to go to. And immediately they put this security bracelet on me that if I even tried to leave the waiting room, alarms would sound and they would basically drag me back into the waiting area. 
I had on this lovely sweatshirt that I'm wearing now because it is my favorite and I had to like de-string it. Um, I wasn't allowed to wear the sweatpants I had on because they had a string and they were my, oh gosh, what do they say on it? They were also regards? Yes, the warmest regards sweatpants. Um, <laughs> and at the time I had not been eating. So I lost a ton of weight and they no longer fit me. So when I took the string out, they wouldn't stay up and I wasn't allowed to wear those either. So I had to get some like actually pretty comfy sweatpants from the hospital, which they let me keep. And that was nice. Good souvenir, I guess. And yeah, so I just really like, it kind of furthered the thoughts that like, I'm making a horrible mistake by doing this because like, I feel like everything's being taken away from me. Like they took my purse, which made it actually a whole fiasco with the insurance company, but that's another story. And they took everything from me. They let me keep my phone and they put everything locked away and I didn't have access to it. So I had my phone, my chapstick and no strings and no one to sit there with me, which was definitely really hard because I'm just like uncontrollably shaking, sobbing, like so scared. I've never had to do anything this hard in my life. And to like top it off, like I was alone. Yeah. That's kind of my journey into the hospital. Yeah. I think when you pointed out like why do I feel like I'm doing something wrong? I'm turning myself in when you're doing something so good for yourself, you know, to get help. But I think that's why, like you said, TV shows and these movies, whatnot, they give this visualization of what it's going to be like. And so then people fear going and getting help because it almost feels like this horrible crime you've committed when you haven't done anything, you know, and you experiencing that, but then coming out of that too, like I think can give some hope that it's more than terrifying, I'm sure. And uh, just horrific to experience and go through all of that and not feel trusted by people or with your own thoughts. And so I guess after that point of that like terrible experience and you being alone there and you know not trusted with anything what happens from there where it becomes like a helpful experience and not feeling like you're like going to jail for something yeah so it definitely like I guess took a while to get to that point I like luckily I was able to talk to my parents so my mom like helped me to reframe a lot and that like you know there are people that are here against their will and that there are people that are a danger to themselves or others so they just do it as a precaution for all it's not necessarily you that you did anything to make you feel like you're in trouble so that was really helpful and So as I'm kind of sitting there, I end up having to talk to three different social workers and a psychiatrist just and like retell kind of how I got here. 
and that took probably I was stuck in this one room for like two hours I think talking to all four of them and that was giving like the concise version of what had been going on um, and primarily just like what was leading up to me being in the hospital. So after that happened, they were like, yeah, we're going to have to admit you into an inpatient. Um, We just don't feel safe that we don't feel confident that like if we release you that while maybe you're feeling okay right now, these thoughts won't come back and you won't be a harm to yourself. So I went, so I just, I started crying again. (laughs) I'm, uh, they're like, take as much time as you need. But then they left me alone in this room and, um, I walked back out to the waiting room and was, they were trying to find a spot for me because I was at the university of Michigan hospital and, they didn't have any beds there. Uh, so they were completely full. So they were looking for somewhere else for me to go. I walked in to the ER a little bit before 5 PM and I did not get picked up until 9 AM the next day to go to the hospital I was going to be transferred to. So I get transported in an ambulance and they like strap you in so like my arms and my legs were like pushed down and I was like oh my gosh like what do they think I'm gonna do like I was terrified turns out they were just seatbelts so I was freaking out for nothing they're just seatbelts to keep me safe (laughs) but um so I get to the I get to this hospital that I'm going to um it's St. Joseph Mercy in Chelsea, um, which they have a really great uh, behavioral health unit there. And I start off on kind of the involuntary side. So that means I'm there against my will that I had to be admitted by someone else. And I just kind of kept to myself while I was on that side. Like I was really scared and I didn't know what I was allowed to do and what I wasn't allowed to do. I couldn't have my phone anymore. We had specific phone hours that I could call my family and like, let them know what was up. I had to wait until I got to the hospital to where I could finally like call my mom and wish her a happy birthday because it was her birthday that day. Um, And she's like, thanks for this great birthday present. (laughs) I was like, love you. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so it was just like really weird. I didn't know what I was allowed to do. So I just sat there like doing word searches and coloring and feeling like I was back in kindergarten, which was kind of nice for a bit. (laughs) Um, Then after two days of being there, um, they had me sign a release form saying like, I am here voluntarily. I will like comply with things. Um, Basically just saying like, yep, whatever they tell me to do, I'm going to do it. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I was thinking as well, Um, When I was at the U of M hospital, they're like, you know, most people are there for like three to five days. Um, And I was like, great, I'm getting out in three. Like, I'm doing this as quick as possible. 
Um, jokes on me. I was there for nine. And uh, so I signed this voluntary thing thinking, yep, I'm going to do whatever they tell me to so I can get out of here in three days. So I get to move over to this other side that doesn't have like a locked door because of like an elopement risk on the involuntary side. So there's less concern about that. Um, I had no like specific phone hours. We had access to computers. There were some TVs like completely different than the other side. And I think just the limited access was there were some people that were definitely still a harm to themselves, even while being in the hospital. And they just have to make sure that those people are staying safe as well. Um, So totally understood all the restrictions, but again, didn't really help the feelings of like, I'm in trouble. But getting over to that other side was where it really turned around for me. It was no longer the weekend, which helped because I had been meeting with just kind of different psychiatrists, different therapists there. Um, That was like the weekend staff. But once it hit Monday evening, I then like met who would be my staff for the next couple days. In my mind, it was one day. So at first it didn't really matter, but they ended up being uh, the people I worked with for about another week. And that was when things really turned around because I was able to like talk things through with them and really figure out what was going on and like learn more about myself just in general. Um, And I had this amazing therapist there. He helped me to see like that so a lot of the things I was thinking I was thinking were negative thoughts specifically about myself you know the things of like thinking I was a burden I didn't matter that like I was kind of doing this alone and that like it didn't matter whether I lived or died and he was like you know it would be really great if you could think of these things like positively and he's like but that's a huge jump from where you're at so like let's think about things neutrally and think about like, I'm alive, I'm here, that's what's happening right now. Or I am in other people's lives. Um, So just like reframing those things to not like a complete 180, but just like basically stating the facts of like, I am a person, I'm here, I'm alive. That That's it. That's like what's going on right now. And It really helped to like make the task more manageable because I was thinking like, oh, this is impossible to like think positive thoughts specifically about myself. Like this is really difficult, but having that middle step, there was a thing I saw a couple days ago, I think on Twitter, and it was like two pictures of people with uh, standing at the bottom rung of ladders and one ladder had a bunch of little steps leading up to it and one had really big spaces in between it and it was like this is to demonstrate the importance of taking small steps that it makes it more manageable and more achievable 
where if you can't even reach that rung that you're trying to get to, like you're just going to feel defeated and that you haven't made any progress. So that I think has just like having those neutral thoughts as like a step to then getting to positive thoughts was really helpful. He also had me like write things on my mirror and he was like, you can write them like on a piece of paper at first. And he's like, I'm not asking you to believe them. He's like, I honestly don't care if you believe them right now, but I want you to write them down. And I was like, okay, so what do I write down? And it was, you matter, you are loved, you have worth. And I was like, well, shoot. (laughs) Um, Like this is, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely not going to believe those. So, but I'll write them down. And then he encouraged me to like write things on my mirror in my bathroom with just like an expo marker. And I didn't know what to write. And so I decided that I would take those things from the piece of paper and I was going to actively work on like believing the neutral thoughts at first and then working on believing like the thoughts themselves. And I, over my nine days there by day eight, I finally wrote them on my mirror in my bathroom because I like actually believed them and believed that like I mattered and that I was loved and that I had worth. And I just like, I called my roommate and I'm just like, hi, I know this is technically after like my phone hours and like, you're probably asleep, but I just really need to like, let you know that I did this and I'm really proud of myself. And that's like, I could not tell you the last time I had said that, that I was like proud of myself. And I just like, remember, like, I don't know, I just felt so like full and like energized. And I was just like, man, like, yeah, life is great. And if I can believe this, then like, I don't know, then I was just like, then starting to think of all these other things, like, oh my gosh, that means that like, I have the strength to get through this and that I can overcome what's like bringing me down right now. And it just like really opened doors to like, yes, I can do this. And not to say that after I was out of the hospital, things didn't have their ups and downs because they definitely did. But it just gave me such a new perspective. Like I am capable and that was not something that I thought before. And yeah, so that's kind of how it turned around was I mean, it helped that I also found like different medication that was really beneficial to me. And um, like, I kind of had the mindset, like I was already on medicine, but they were like throwing some more stuff at me. And I'm like, oh, I don't really want to be on more medicine. Like I didn't really like it in the first place, but I like learned I've learned since I started taking medicine for like mental health issues that like, it's not something because I can't do it. It's just there as like a boost as something that like is going to help me to get to where I need to be. And then this, eventually I won't need the boost, but for right now, it's really helpful for me to have it. Um, And yeah, so just like, 
getting medicine, kind of really like we barely touched on any of the OCD stuff while I was there. Like we did a little bit because that was important, but like a lot of it was just like, hey, let's like focus on you and you actually take the time to focus on yourself because like my thing is I like helping other people. I like volunteering for things and giving a hundred percent of myself like to others to where I wasn't leaving anything for myself but that wasn't allowing me to like completely give it my all when it came to helping others because I was just so depleted of any anything so like I know people say like you can't love others until you love yourself and just like once once I wrote those things on my mirror I was like wow okay um and then since like when I came home I then I didn't want to like actually write on our mirror so I like put post-it notes up of like once I believed something I like put a post-it note on our mirror so that I would see it and within the first like week maybe I had like five post-it notes up there of like stuff that I never thought I would ever believe and just like they're helpful reminders like I still have them up there it's still like really nice to see that like when I'm kind of feeling down and I'm like oh this is really hard like I can't do this um because the thoughts didn't magically go away when I left the hospital. Like they were still there. They were still something I had to address every single day. Um, and like the hurting myself aspects were still continuing. I, so like things don't magically go away when you're in the hospital, but I guess what really was the impactful part was like the perspective change. So before I didn't think that like I was making any progress at all. And I didn't think that I was doing any good work. And now like one of the post-it notes that I have up there is that like I'm making, um, I'm working really hard, I'm doing well and I'm making progress. And I guess just seeing that and like knowing that even if I take like the tiniest baby step of like towards what my end goal is, that it, is at least a step in the right direction. There are like so many things I want to circle back on that were just so powerful that you said, but first, like, we are so proud of you. Like just sharing this and going through this, like that is a lot. And you are so young and so smart and, it's just beautiful that you can sit and say all this and relive it through your words and just have this perspective. I think it's amazing. So anyways, okay. So going back a little bit, I really loved when you were talking about the neutral thoughts because, you know, CS and I talk about this, as you know, like she's very up at the stars and I'm very down on the ground and like the middle ground between like being positive or negative, like just this neutral or realism, I think is so powerful because sometimes getting to that 
super positive place or like be positive or think positive, it's too much. Like it's a thing that feels out of reach. And with that feels so much pressure to have to think those thoughts. And if you're not like, well, now here's another reason that I'm not doing something or whatnot, you know? So I really loved that thought of what are just neutral thoughts? Like what is this next little step that I can think that just is one step above what I'm already thinking, you know, because one step is still a step and it's doesn't have to be a humongous leap forward. It can be step after step after step. And I think when you were talking about the ladder visual, I was visualizing it because I also feel that sometimes when people in life make a huge jump from one to another, you know, like think of all that space that they just leapt forward and probably didn't like thoroughly get to that next space. They kind of like leapt there and maybe had help to get there and that's great. But did they go through every single like feeling and motion and up and down to get to that next step of all those little rings of the ladder is what I'm envisioning in my head that when you go through it step by step by step, you're like thoroughly going through it and feeling it all and thinking it all and getting to this step and not just like, oh, I just like jumped on a trampoline to the next step and it's fine. Now let's keep going. And then having to circle back someday because I didn't really trek my way through there thoroughly. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I I feel like that's, that would be such a huge thing to know that like I went through every little inch of this to get to this next step instead of just like bounding myself forward and hoping that it stuck. Yeah. I, I too was visualizing it and I was kind of thinking when you said, you know, going to the hospital, it didn't fix everything and you still have the thoughts, but what, what it did was even though that was technically, that was a, a, I don't want to say big step because then it feels like we're skipping rings, but it was very yeah. courageous for you to go. And then the little steps were them handing you a new tool. So if I go to someone's house and they want me to help them with a the DIY project and all I have is an ale gun, well, we're not going to get a whole lot done because the wood doesn't fit and, oh, we need glue and we need all these other tools. And so if you're collecting the right tools, I know I am a very tooly right now, but it's just an analogy. So like if you do take all the small steps, then you have more tools to help you handle the things that haven't gone away that you do have to deal with. And that's the reality. But reframing is a tool and, you know, those positive thoughts that you Mm -hmm. walked away with are a tool and so many other things I'm sure that, that you haven't mentioned and, and those will be with you forever. So you'll be the best DIYer. Yes. You and your analogies are so good. Um, Okay. One other thing I want to touch on is when you said the medication thing about how it gives you that boost to then problem solve or change your perspective and allows you to open up that space. I can relate to this due to anxiety and medication for anxiety. And I've said in the past, like, I don't want to have to need it, of course, but it's like, have you seen Frozen 2? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, who hasn't? <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, when they're in the fog, and it's like, sometimes you're in such thick fog that you can't even possibly imagine 
what's on the other side of it. And I feel that the medication, obviously, when used with a doctor or psychiatrist or someone who's, you know, knows what they're doing and working through it with you, obviously, don't just do things. That's my (laughs) sensor. Um, But when it's used, it kind of clears that fog. So then you can see the other side and then take those steps to get to the other side. Because sometimes you're just so stuck in this fog or this place that the other side is so unattainable because you can't even get to the point of thinking about it. Because for me, my thoughts would be so stuck in something else that until that fog was lifted, I couldn't even like, oh my gosh, there it is. Like now I can use all my tools and take my steps forward to get to this better place. But without that boost... And of course, that doesn't mean wanting to always rely on something or depend on it. But when you change the stigma of it as not just like numbing you to something, but really just like opening your eyes to what could be and then you put in the work to get to that spot, I think it just helps people change their mindset about it because it can be such a helpful tool if used appropriately and with guidance to just like open up your mind to even let you get to that space. And so I think it's great that you mentioned that you, you use it as that boost to then do this work and get to that place. And I'm sorry, we're just talking like crazy right now, but there's one other thing I want to say (laughs) is the post-it notes and the writing on the mirror. And I love that you still have those post-it notes up because like you said, you still have thoughts. You're still going to have off days. Everyone has these really great moments and then really bad moments. And there is no guarantee that the rest of our lives are just going to be these neutral or positive thoughts because all these thoughts can creep in. And unfortunately, as many people know, they do all the time. And I think it's amazing to have those mementos still there every single day because in my mind when I look at that then it's like guess what I got to this place and I believed this at one point so I'm going to trust myself that I can do it again because there is my visual proof that like I believed it I put it on my mirror or I put it on my wall or I wrote it somewhere and I've gotten to that place before, so I'm going to get back to that place at another point when I'm having a down day or an off day. And I've talked about this with CS, with journaling and my anxiety, and sometimes I'm like, I feel like, like, what is happening? And I'm, I have to go back and read what I felt in those moments in the past because it's like, you've been here, you've done this, you've taken the steps to move forward, and these are the steps that worked for you. These are the steps that didn't. And it's like our minds try to trick ourselves. Like you've never been here before. This is uncharted territory, panic, fight or flight or whatever it may be. But when you have those visual reminders, like, no, 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 trust yourself. You've done this and you've believed this and read this over and over and over again, because you can be back in this place. I just think it's beautiful. And I think those tools that you've used and are using and talking about are just wonderful 
things that everyone can think of and maybe incorporate some way into their lives, regardless of what they're going through. Because as we all know, there's hospitals full of people who are struggling with their mental health. But even more than that, there are people all over the world in their homes who haven't been able to take the step to get help and desperately need it. And I think we have to try to find ways to just make this so much better in our world because it's real hard and it's so easy to go fix a broken bone, but it seems so hard to go work on our mental health when we feel like we need help. And the more I think we talk about it and people hear stories and experiences and see, you know, the things that have come from it, the more they, whether they can totally relate or just relate to one little piece of it, well, dang, that is impacting someone else who's listening. So I'm done rambling, but you are so courageous and strong and matter beyond, obviously you have to believe it yourself, but you matter to a lot of people who are listening and don't even know you and now feel like you're a part of their life and will remember your story forever. So we beyond applaud you for sharing. It's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, One thing I also did want to add about what you were saying. Um, Still like for the people that are at home that like are scared to take that step to go to the hospital. Like one thing I wish I would have known beforehand is that there are like baby steps before they would put you in inpatient and so if you're scared that like inpatient's just gonna like upend your life and it's gonna like ruin it like the sooner you go then the less like invasive I guess it is on everything so there are outpatient programs they will find you maybe a new therapist um so they have these baby steps like along the way And I just think like that would have been really helpful to have known that like I could have done a half day program had I gone earlier, but I let it get to a point where I was like so wrapped up in everything that like I wasn't okay to be by myself and I wasn't in a place where like I was even going to be beneficial to my client if I went to work. So it was like, I don't know, sometimes taking those hard steps like early on, which I know it's not always possible, but um, just as like, that's an option out there as well. I think that's so true. And because for so many people listening, they wouldn't know that otherwise. And just like you said at the beginning, your college had free therapy or therapists or access to them. So many people don't know these things. And the more people know these things, the more they would think, oh, wow, there is a step I can take right now that isn't so daunting. Yeah, terrifying and all this stuff because I just heard about this. Let me look this up. But I feel we need to talk about it more in life, in society, because that's what you think, that you have to make this huge jump into something which I think is so brave and beyond courageous when you need to do it. But the more we know, more time we have maybe for those baby steps. And I think you even seen a therapist your freshman year of college, even that, like 
knowing to go do that and talk to someone, maybe it's because you were in psychology, but how did you even know that, like, I'm going to go do this and this is, because that, I mean, now people talk about talk space or, you know, all the things, like, talk to someone, but that was however many years ago and you were already, like, ahead of the (laughs) times of speaking to someone and knowing your options. Yeah, um, I, so in high school, kind of, um, as I mentioned earlier, like there were students that had committed suicide. um, And there was also a student that had died my senior year of high school, um, pretty unexpectedly that I, at the time, thought I knew super well. Um, I knew her kind of well, uh, ate lunch with her. So it was just like a really big a lot of changes uh, going on there. And I had started seeing a therapist in high school, um, mainly because it was recommended to me by like the school counselor. Um, Cause I would go in and like, think that I was just ranting to her. And then she like had me fill out this screening and it was like flashing, like really depressed, go see someone basically. Um, so just like, that was helpful for me to then like, once things kind of started feeling off my freshman year, I was like, all right, I need to figure this out. And um, I vaguely remembered them saying something about the counseling center when I was in orientation, but you know, that had been months prior. So I like looked into it a bit more and I was like, oh wait, I don't have to pay for this. Like, this is great. And um, so I, yeah, it was just like really helpful to know that that was a resource there. That's so true. And you were saying in high school, all those events were happening that were, you know, so sad. And nowadays with technology, we're constantly fed tragic, horrific, scary, bad things, news, information from all over the world constantly. And to think that we should be able to process all of that outside information and then process ourselves and our own mental health and our own thoughts, it's a lot. And it's it's a lot it's a lot for everyone today. And so I think you just sharing this and showing people, like you said, I was alone in that hospital room. And there's so many people who feel alone all the time. And so I just think it's beautiful that you are sharing, you know, if someone else feels this way, they're not alone because we've all had our, own thoughts and our own things and they're all different but we can find some ways to relate and connect in each other's stories or just empathize yes totally And hopefully learn and then maybe be more equipped if you ever go through something like that which is hard to imagine if you haven't but you can't rule out the possibility because you just don't know what life has in store so oh boy feel like you I I think I've always known or felt like you were like wise beyond your years but I do I think you are like a 
a sage soul. Is that a thing? I don't know, but I get what you meant by okay. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> just like a wise, a wise person with everybody's best interests at heart, and finally, your own best interests at heart, even if it's a work in progress and not always easy. But you are a rock star. Thank you. Plain and simple, and you are. That is my favorite sweatshirt, also. <laughs> it's our joy loves company and it has the holes for your thumb and it has oh, yes, that's the best it's the best and it's really cute <laughs> so. oh my gosh well thank you so much Erin this obviously cannot have been easy for you but we know our listeners you're gonna change change some lives out there so thank you thank you Erin you're the best all right, guys, make sure that if someone you know could benefit from this or get any insight or tools for their future or someone you know's future or your future, I'm rambling, but um, have them tune in and share and remember that you do matter and you have to believe it. So I love the post-it note idea and I'm going to, I think everyone should start incorporating a lot of these tools into their life. And we will talk to you guys next week. 